The psalm that we are going to be using this morning as, as Pastor Keith's sermon text and as the foundation of our service is Psalm 8. And this is one of my favorites of the psalms. There's many, many of them, but I love this one because it does talk about that majesty and power of God and yet how he does care for us and he is mindful of all of his creation and how much he cares for them. Hear the words of Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings, that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the, of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Would you be with me in prayer, please, for our pastor? Lord, these are mighty words, and they are powerful words, and they just barely reflect your majesty. But, Lord, we do lift you up and praise you and give our hearts and souls to you. As Pastor Keith comes forward this morning to deliver the message you have placed on his heart, we just pray that he will deliver it with boldness and with heart and all of the abilities that you have given him to share this message this morning. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Vicki. Good morning. It's good to be with you here today. Um, Man, it's, it's, it's great to be back with you. Mike's gone out in Portland. I was gone last week as well, too. And uh, right after at about 3 o'clock last Sunday, I took off and drove in my uh, awesome little Prius all the way out to uh, Park City, Utah. And uh, I was reflecting on this, this uh, sermon because here's the thing. I, had, I was out there all week. I got back last night. And I wrote this sermon before I left. And so when I got back this morning, I'm like, boy, I better look at that so I remember what I could talk about, right? Because I, I had written it, but I was thinking about it because I knew it was about creation. So I was thinking about Psalm 8 as being about creation, especially as I was driving through Iowa thinking, you know, God really must have wanted to create something flat. As, and then when I was driving through Nebraska, I thought, God must have been in a really bad mood. But then when I, you know, got into Wyoming and then Utah, I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is what God... This, was, this must have been, you know, at the beginning of the day when God made the mountains, because this is when he was uh, creating this awesome stuff. But I was driving back, because I, I haven't quite figured out how to write a sermon while driving yet. I would love that technology, especially if I could be driving a motorcycle and doing it. That would be awesome. Hey, I saw Pastor Keith riding around on his bike all, all day. The other day. Oh, he was working. <laughs> if you ever see me doing that during the afternoon, that's what I'm doing. I'm working on how to figure out what to say. In church, but no, um, it was it was a great trip. But when I came back, um, I, I was I was excited to share this message with you because I, I'm excited about the, the Lord of creation and what 
what God is doing. And, and I know that where Pastor Mike is right now, he's, he's, he's uh, you know, engaging in all this, this crazy legislation and all this hard work. So I don't know. Will you indulge me in something real quick? I'm going to grab my phone here for a second. And I just think it would be fun as Mike's in the middle of these meetings, you know, if we just kind of send him a little photo of what we're doing here. So would you just kind of, I'm going to put my camera like this. And we're, everybody wave at Pastor Mike. We're going to do a little Pastor Mike selfie. Hold on. There we go. All right. I will send that to him later. I did that at the 745 service. They thought it was awesome. Anyway, so I noticed something on our PowerPoint this morning that, that I think was a misprint. And I double-checked it in my, in my Bible here, and indeed it was. Did you notice, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to look. Psalm 8... And if you don't want to do it now, do it later. It says this. And you say, what are you talking about, Pastor Keith? Verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But if you notice, if you notice the way Lord is spelled, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? Lord, that spelling, our Lord, capital L, lowercase o, R. D. What's that all about? Have you ever noticed that in the Old Testament? That when, when, uh, when God is being talked about in the Old Testament and the word Lord is used, oftentimes it's this all caps thing. Now, I know what some of you think. Some of you think that that's what you're supposed to do when you send us an email and you're really like angry or you want to really get a point across. You just fire out the all caps, right? And, and I'm just going to give you a little email etiquette lesson. Don't do that. Okay, when you send something in all caps, it, it makes you sound like a crazy person. Okay, so so don't do that. Okay, but in the Old Testament, what this was, it has a specific purpose. And this capital O, capital capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is what's called the tetragrammaton of the name of God. And this comes from Exodus chapter three. Verses 15, verses 14 and 15. And what this is talking about, it's the name of the, of, of God. So when the psalmist writes, Lord, our Lord, the one is a title and one is a name. And he begins with the name of God. Now, the name of God is a complicated thing if you ever read the Old Testament, but I want to just show you what it says in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Verses 14, when God speaks to Moses at the burning bush, God calls Moses and he begins to say to him, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And, And Moses says to Pharaoh, well, who should I say says that? And he says, I am. And here's what he says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. The Lord is the Lord, the psalmist declares. And that's important for us to understand because what he's saying is this, that God, our God, is not just the God of the Israelites or of the Hebrews. He's the God of the whole world. And this is significant because at the time that this psalm was written, gods were connected to nations. So the Hebrews had their God. The Canaanites had their gods. 
The Amorites had their gods. The Hittites had their gods. But for the Hebrew, for the Israelite, there was just the Lord. And the psalmist is declaring in this this psalm that the Lord title is the Lord. Is the Lord of all the earth. Not just of the Jews. Not just of this country. But of all of us. And this is a big deal. Because most religions were polytheistic, but not, not us. He is the one who is and is to come. This is a celebration statement. This is a, a worship song of rejoicing. It's a declaration of power and strength. It's saying that we have the one true God, and He is the God of the entire world. Just like that song the choir sang, He is the everlasting God. There is none other. There is none other. And this is worship. Psalm 8 is a worship song. Just like we sang this morning. It's agreeing with and declaring the greatness of God. And that's really what worship music is all about. It's declaring the greatness and the power of God. And that's what worship music should be. It should be about God and who God is and His attributes. But oftentimes, of course, worship music can become much more about us than about God. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, for us, music is a great gift from God. But oftentimes, we've taken that gift that was given to us so that God could be glorified in a powerful way, and we've used it oftentimes for ourselves to exclude God. It's interesting. Ask yourself this question when it comes to worship. Do you care more about what the words are saying, or do you care more about the style in which they're said? See, that's a big deal for us, especially as Americans, isn't it? Because what we want to know in churches, I mean, churches are defined more by music than by anything else. It's true. People are more concerned with what kind of music is sung or played at a church worship service than they are about, you know, how friendly the people are, what the pastor says, or anything else. What kind of music? Think about that. How many different types of services do we have to have in the world? Oftentimes, they're around music. I was driving down the the road, you know, on on my trip, and I looked to my right when I hit Newton, Iowa, and I saw a sign that said, Cowboy Church, every Thursday night. You know what Cowboy Church is, right? Cowboy Church is a church that's everyone dresses up like cowboys, and they sing country songs. My parents, which you've met my parents before, they're the most uncowboy people on the face of the earth. They have a little cabin out in, in uh, Colorado, and this little town is pretty remote, and they've struggled to find a church that they feel connected with, and they started going to cowboy church. <laughs> and I just, whenever I'm having a bad moment in my life, I just imagine my dad sitting at cowboy church, and it just, it just makes me smile. You know, but really, it's ultimately for people, a lot of it, it's about the music because music is such a powerful thing for us, isn't it? It's something that we connect to emotionally. It's something that we, that we are drawn into. And that's a great gift. But what we have to do is remember the purpose for which it was given. And the purpose for which it was given was to glorify the Lord, to glorify God. So far be it for us as believers in God to take that gift which he's given and turn it against him and make it about us. 
And sometimes we even do that with our worship music. If you look at sometimes through hymns or worship choruses, I don't know, it's just a pet peeve of mine when I find songs that are more about humans than they are about God. So I want you to be challenged by that. Now, this is interesting, but can you imagine what kind of style was this psalm sung in in the ancient Hebrew world? What was it like? You know, we don't have a recording of it. And part of me really wishes that we did. Because I would love to hear what it would have sounded like for, for the Hebrews led by King David or the other psalm writers who would say, today we're going to sing Psalm 8. What did that sound like? What was the style? What was the music? What an amazing thing to be able to hear that. But you want to know something? I'm kind of glad we don't have a recording of that. Because I know what would happen if we did. Someone would begin to nitpick it. Someone would begin to critique it. Someone would begin to say, well, you know, it really should have been this way. And it really should have been that way. And someone would have said, well, you know, it was kind of not like the Psalms used to be back in Psalm 1. Back in the traditional days of Psalms. I don't know what these crazy kids are up to here in Psalm 8. We begin to nitpick this, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you, I'm giving you the permission to do this, sort of. I want you to just imagine that psalm as whatever kind of music you want it to be. All right? I'll imagine that it's like, you know, classic rock or like heavy metal or something progressive like that. And you can imagine it's whatever you want it to be. Just not country. All right? We can't, I mean, this is God we're talking about. Just kidding. All right? Because here's the thing. If, if, if we have that dictated to us, oftentimes we will mess with it. The point is our worship needs to be about God. And this is what Psalm 8 is all about. But if your worship isn't about God and it becomes more about you, then you know what happens when that, when that takes place? We stop worshiping God. Because sometimes I'll come to worship and believe it or not, yeah, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I don't feel like worshiping. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I've had a bad day. Sometimes I'm, 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 I'm frustrated about something or I'm, I'm upset about something. And when it's time to sing a song, I'm standing there and the words are the words, but I, might, I just might not be in a mood to do that. You ever feel like that? You can be honest. I know you do. Sometimes I come in here on Wednesday nights to 412 and, and there'll be some kids that are worshiping God and there'll be some kids that are just kind of standing there, you know, and there'll be some, some kids that are sitting in there and they're just kind of, and you say, what, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you worshiping? I just don't feel like it, Pastor Keith. What do you mean you don't feel like it? This is the worship of the living God. Has he, has he stopped being amazing? Has he stopped being all important? Has he stopped being powerful? Has he stopped being the, 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 the Lord of the universe? Of course he hasn't. So your feelings, my feelings, have absolutely nothing to do with it. The same could be said for our musical preferences. They have nothing to do with the experience of worshiping God. We make it that. We're the ones that create that thing. But that's not God. See, all creation, this psalm tells us, reveals the reality of God. You ever have somebody say to you, oh, I would, I would love to worship God, but I just don't believe He's there. I just need proof. I just need somewhere, I just need God to show me a sign, give me some evidence that He's real, because, because there is none in this world. 
And, and, and I just want God to come down and show me something. Well, this psalm declares that God is the author of creation. And that everything made was made intentionally by God and reflects His glory. Have you considered that the greatness of God is revealed in His creation? You see, it's really not as complicated as we want to make it. You want to know that God is there? Look around. How do you think we got here? Right? But I know, I know, I know. We're, we're far more sophisticated than these ancient peoples now. We have technology. We have scientific things. And we have greater minds. And we, we know things. Right? I mean, scientists spend a lot of time trying to figure out whether there's intelligent life out there in the universe. So they have all of this expensive equipment. They have all of these educated people, right? And what do they do? Do you guys remember that movie from like 25 years ago with Jodie Foster called Contact? And it was a movie about uh, a real thing called SETI, S-E-T-I, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. It's a real thing. And you might have seen pictures of it. It's all of these, it's this organization that has all of these satellite dishes and, and, and receivers that are pointed at the sky. And their job is to scan as much of the universe as they can for intelligent life. Now, you might ask yourself, how will they know when they find it? What do they expect? I remember uh, seeing or reading an interview with the scientists about this. And they're like, well, what do you think is going to happen? Someone's going to say, well, greetings, Earth. This is, uh, you know, Lieutenant Commander, uh, you know, Johnson from Planet Cygnus X-1, and we just want to say hi to the Earthlings. Of course not. So what are they listening for? Well, the answer was this. They're listening for anything in the vast nothingness of space that is an evidence of, e- of intelligence. Well, what, that might be, what might that be, you'd say? Anything with some type of order. Some type of sequential order that is not random. If you remember from the movie, they just heard some kind of like static, but it had a pattern to it. And what they've said was, if we find something in the universe that exhibits some sort of pattern or some sort of sequence, then we will know without a shadow of a doubt that there's intelligence out there because things in the universe are not ordered without intelligence. Isn't that interesting? You can spend all this time looking out. But what happens when you look through an electron microscope at the strand of a DNA? What do you see? Any scientists in here? What do you see? Ordered sequence. More complicated, more intelligently designed than anything we've ever found anywhere in the universe. Hello. Duh. Right? Why is it that we're so concerned with finding intelligence out there that we've that we've we've denied the fact that there's intelligence in here? You see, humanity, creation, the universe, that's the proof of God. Because things don't just happen for no reason. And science is really good at telling us the how about things. Well, this happens and this happens and this happens. But they've never been able to tell us the why. Never. And that's what the psalmist does. 
he tells us the why. I don't care about the how. Scientists can explain all that. That's a fascinating thing. That's great. I mean, I care, but, but that's awesome. But what's more important than the how is the why. And the psalmist declares, it's because of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul picks this up in the, the Gospel or the book of Romans. And he says this in chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people are without excuse. Well, I don't know God's real. He just showed. No, you have no excuse because God has shown it to you. He's made it plain to you. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds, and animals, and reptiles. You see, obviously the Apostle Paul is talking about the, the idolatry of the pagan world in which they were alive in. But you know what? We, we live in a pagan world here today. You want to know what makes, what makes that pagan? Is when you take the worship of the Creator and exchange it for the worship of the creation. You see, that's what he was saying. He was saying that God's given you everything that you know to see that he's real. But what we've done is we've denied the creator in favor of the creation. We've worshipped the stuff that God's made rather than the one who made the stuff. And that's what he says has led to all these horrible things in our culture, in our society, in our world. The wickedness, the sin, the depravity. All of that comes to us when we take what God has given to us and we worship it instead of him. And then you can read in Romans what he's talking about if you want to. See, it's a dangerous thing to take God for granted. And it's even more dangerous to worship your stuff and worship things that were made rather than the one who made them. And you know what? That it wasn't just the pagans that did that. We do it, don't we? We worship our stuff, we worship other people, we worship, uh, you know, creation, we worship ideas, we worship uh, cultural things, we worship a lot of stuff. And the Romans, Paul in Romans tells us that the wrath of God is coming because of that. It comes to you, it comes to me. Secondly, in Psalm 8, we read this, that our purpose as human beings, this is important, is to bring glory to bring God glory. Our purpose as humans is to bring God glory. Our purpose as humans is not just to have fun and just make it all about us and, and we're the center of the universe. The, the, the reason why we were made, the why behind everything is for God's glory. And that's important that we understand that. We understand our rightful place in the universe. And it's an amazing place, by the way, our place in the universe. We've been given the glory of God. We bring Him glory and He crowns us with His glory. 
We belong to Him, all of us. Every human ever made was made with the glory of God. Not just people who are like you and people who are like me and people you agree with. Not just people with the same color skin that you have or the same belief system you have or the same uh, you know, socioeconomical background that you have. All humanity was made in the image of God with God's glory. It's a powerful thing to think about. You see, God made humanity to reflect His glory, to rule over the earth and to fill the earth What is the glory of God and what does that mean, right? What does it mean that every person that you've ever come into contact with is crowned with God's glory? Well, listen to the way that C.S. Lewis puts this in uh, The Weight of Glory. I'll read this to you. This is a sermon that that he preached about 60 years ago. He says, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible lowercase gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection power to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, what Lewis is saying is this. Every person you've ever ran into has been crowned with the glory of God. But what they do with it is what matters. And if we walk in the glory of God, if we follow God's laws, if we love Jesus, if we have the gospel as our foundation, then someday we will be reunited with God. We will be clothed in His glory. Our, our lifeless bodies will be remade with the, with the incorruptible power that God gives us. Our inheritance is imperishable. And we will be transformed just like Jesus was into something that will be so amazing that we can't even comprehend it. That potential is there. Or, we'll turn our back on God. We'll turn our back on God and become the exact opposite. That's for all of us. And that's what Psalm 8 talks about. And lastly, because everything is under their feet, as the psalm says, We must behave responsibly. You know, God's given us great authority on this earth, hasn't he? He's given us a great responsibility. He's given us a lot to do, a lot of power here. And with that power, of course, comes obligation. We must behave responsibly. What we do matters. 
How we treat each other matters. How we steward the creation of God matters because He's given it to us. You know, if you gave me an expensive gift and I treated it poorly and took it for granted, how would that make you feel? Right? How would that make you feel? It'd make you feel offended. Especially if it was something that you sacrificed greatly for or something that you were proud of. You see? We have a lot to do in this world. Genesis 1 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. You see, Psalm 8 is a worship song about the glory of God and his glory in all of us. Much in the same way, that a child is the glory of their parent, we have his glory. You know, my daughter went to prom last night. She's a senior, and this was the last one. So we went down to the library in Cedar Rapids, and we went down there. I don't know why that was the spot, but that was the designated place for every or many, many young people to go down there and have their pictures taken. So you go down there, and there's, you know, a hundred kids in dresses and tuxedos and a bunch of parents running around with cameras and people trying to take pictures and people doing it. And it's like, oh, look at the... And it was, it's a great thing. You know, our, these kids, they're our glorious parents, aren't they? You know, we look at them and we're just... They're like, oh, wow. Chip off the old block or whatever. They, they reflect our glory. That's how it is with God. We have His glory. But we don't always live like that, do we? Have you ever told your child or been told by your parents, hey, that's not how we behave. That's not who you are. It's not just about that's a bad thing to do. It's about, hey, that's not how, that's not how we behave. That's not what we do. See, we're talking about their identity in that place, aren't we? Because they have our glory. And they say that if you behave as one that doesn't behave like the, like the glory that's been given to you, there's a problem there. That's how it is with God. See, our problems often arise when we forget about that glory and forget about that true identity. And when we forget about the glory God's given us, we can oftentimes feel worthless. And when we feel worthless, we act out. Right? On the flip side, when we think the glory comes from us, And aren't we filled with glory? We often act out as well, don't we? See, the gospel is the key to that. The gospel is the key to our identity. It shows us that we are of infinite value and worth because we are created and crowned in God's glory because Christ came for us. 
But at the same time, we're reminded that the glory is God's and that we belong to Him. And that Christ died to redeem us because of our sin. We aren't the center of the universe. So step into your identity and step in to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this ancient worship song and for songs that we sing today. Lord, may our hearts be filled with the glory of God and may the Lord be our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.